Hello and welcome to another episode of Checkpoint, the podcast highlighting and telling the stories of influential leaders in and around the sports industry. Today, we are excited to welcome our next, de- our next guest, Jacob Van Ryan. Jacob took over as the commissioner for the New England Collegiate Conference almost two years ago, and even in the face of a pandemic, is finding ways to innovate and expand the offerings within the conference. Jacob has over two decades of experience as an athletic administrator with stops along the way at the New England 10 Conference, the Empire 8 Athletic Conference, and is still the broadcaster for the Bentley University and Merrimack College sports teams. Today, we are going to cover the gamut and talk about fall sports, COVID protocols and process that are being updated, and what to expect for the eight schools in the NECC as we go into the spring. Jacob, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, my man? I'm good. It's uh, I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to the conversation, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, likewise, man. Likewise. Well, um, well, look at you know for all you first time listeners, uh, you know checkpoint. We're going to use the next thirty minutes to really take a look underneath the hood, um, get to know Jacob. You know, understand his journey to you know commissioner now. Uh, what you guys are currently focused on, and you know, coming out of this crazy fall, Jacob, we're excited to hear where you think things are going. So, <laughs> I appreciate that. I don't know if I have any great answers. I said to somebody this morning, I feel like I'm taking a test uh, where there's no right answers, but here we are. Man, I tell you, it's uh, you know, perspective is everything in this, though, right? You know, and I mean, it's been so cool to bring on thought leaders, influencers from the ADC, from the you know, the player lens, you're our first commissioner. So, you know, this is going to be a really unique perspective. And um, for all you listeners that don't know, the NECC is a division three conference uh, made up of eight teams up here in New England. And now I'm going to shut up. So Jacob, you give us, you know, who are you um, and and what are you currently currently doing over there? Yeah, all small private institutions, Scott, um, you know, uh, tight knit, small radius. We cover um, as north as New England College um, in New Hampshire, as south as Mitchell College in, in Connecticut. Um, the majority of our footprint is in in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, um, where most of our schools are located. Um, you know, quite frankly, throughout this whole thing and, and throughout this time and in the pandemic and all the conversations that we've had, um, really the most rewarding you talked about perspective and 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 sort of attitude about the whole thing um, has been how close we've been as a group in terms of working together. Right? I mean, we all have our separate agendas. We're all looking out for our backyards and and what's going on in our respective institutions. But the, the, the cohesive discussions that we've had about, you know, hey, we're all in this together. We want, you know, whether it's Mitchell College or Bay Path University, Becker College, New England College, we all want to be in this together. We all want to put ourselves in our best possible situation to succeed and ultimately be safe and provide a good experience for our people across the board. And, and quite frankly, that's been really rewarding and something I, I probably didn't expect going into this. You think about this pandemic of like, Oh God, the world's ending. Everything's terrible. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? In, in many ways, it's it's brought us closer together. I, I think across the conference, and that was probably an um, an unintended, a very happy um, consequence of this whole thing. It's amazing, you know. You find silver linings, and like you said, with something that could be so pessimistic in nature, um, to to be able to see that unity come together. Um, you know, we're hoping that we see that span from D3 to D1. Um, you know, obviously it's a disjointed process though. When, you know, just as a spectator um, and someone working in sports, it's been very interesting to see from, you know, the, the school level to the conference level to the NCAA. Uh, I'm really curious as you guys were going through, you know, fall sports decision, if you don't mind giving us an insight to how some of those decisions were made, you know, as a group or, um, you know, really curious because, we see it just being done in so many different ways across the the board right now. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll go back quite frankly to March when we decided to sort of, uh, you know, postpone and ultimately cancel our spring sports seasons. That was very much, Scott, a, a ground up decision. And what I mean by that is that came from a recommendation from our, our athletic leadership, our ADs, our associate ADs, our SWAs um, up the ladder. And, and our presence just sort of signed off on that, quite frankly. And that's where we were in March when spring championships and spring seasons were postponed, obviously, due to the pandemic. Um, this summer, our decision, we were the fourth Division Three conference um, in the country to make the decision to postpone all of, all of our fall sports. So whereas in the spring, we were one of the last because we said, hey, we, we can sort of wait and see. And looking back, it's like we were all naive to the scope of this virus and where it was going to be. Um, I, I really applaud it. And fast forward now to the summer, you know, early July, our presidents um, really made an emphasis. They said, listen, we have young people making important decisions, um, you know, enrollment decisions, travel decisions, academic decisions, financial decisions. And they need to know as soon as we can humanly possibly tell them, we need to be transparent. We need to be honest with them. These are our plans for the upcoming semester. Um, I, I think it was really risky uh, because, I, I, you know, a lot of those discussions, quite frankly, you know, to, to sort of take you behind the screen a little bit, it, it, a lot of, you know, I can remember presidents saying, you know, I, I'm afraid to make this decision because I don't want my student athletes thinking about going somewhere else because we are all enrollment driven institutions. Right. So they didn't want to say, you know, we're going to make the decision to postpone our fall sort fall sports, you know, and, and restart them hopefully in the second semester, knock on wood, you know, that things are a little bit better with where we're at health wise in this country. Um, but our, our presidents really took the lead and, and they said, we need to do right by our people. We need to be transparent. We need to be honest because we're getting questions and they deserve our answers and we need to make a decision on that. So, you know, this summer, uh, you know, we made the decision really early on that we were going to postpone our fall sports. And that was across the board. Uh, it, it never came down to Scott, you know, some of our, you know, cross country. Some of those things where maybe you could do it, you know, with, with some distancing measures in place and, and do it safely. Um, we, we never had those discussions for us. It was if we're going to do it, we're going to do it across the board. And that's what we've decided. We've made the commitment um, to provide some sort of competitive experience and, and, and effort for our, our, our fall sport athletes in the second semester, in the spring semester. Um, we're still sort of ironing out what that's going to look like. And those discussions are, quite frankly, basically just getting pretty aggressively going um, yeah. on our side. But, um, you know, I, I really applaud our leadership. Um, our presidents were very um, forthcoming. I thought they were very honest that we need to be open. We need to be upfront with our people because they deserve it because they're making important decisions during these times. No, I mean, well said. And, and I mean, to to have a conference and see, you know, eight schools come together and be able to collectively move forward. Um, I mean, that's a feat in itself. Right. Even when things are all good, you know, we both know that, you know, these things are cruise ships. And so. No uh, in the in the time adver of adversity, it's really encouraging to hear everybody come together. Um, even though you might have some different thoughts on how it should go, there is a collective voice moving forward. Um, you know, we were just talking offline, and I'm really curious, you know, for you to shed some light on this. But you know, recruiting is one of the topics yep. that has been coming up. Um, with you guys postponing fall sports, how do you plan to handle some of the NCAA bylaws and what recruiting will look like um, for next fall's? Uh, sports. Yeah, we've 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 obviously been on top of what's going on at the at the national office in Indianapolis and and abiding by those rules and regulations. I, I'll, I'll be I'll be honest. Um, I, I give those folks in in Indy a lot of credit. They take a, a lot of flack. They take a lot of pushback, and some of it, quite frankly, is warranted. I I, I won't lie about that. Um, but they've been very reactive. Um, and 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 in terms of a body of that size, their decision making process is so thorough and so thoroughly vetted 
that it, it's very hard to make quick decisions just because there's so many levels. You know, there's a board of governors, there's adcom, there's all these different levels that have to weigh in and meet and get everybody on the same page. But they've been very, uh, very quick moving on a lot of these things. They've recognized hey, we need to make some of these decisions pretty quickly with regards to some of these bylaws, with regards to some of these things. Um, and, and I applaud them. It, it certainly has not been easy. Um, and, and let's be honest. I mean, Division Two and Division Three are, are massively funded um, by a lot of the TV deals at, at, at Division One. Yep. So um, it's a scary time. Uh, you know, it's a scary time across the nation. Uh, you know, intercollegiate athletics uh, is not immune to that whatsoever. Um, so everybody's very, uh, very nervous and, and there's a lot of people holding their breath. You know, I, I think Scott, for people that don't know, um, D2 and D3, they get a percentage uh, of the NCAA men's basketball, the March Madness, you know, tournament and, and those TV deals. And that's a big chunk of our operating budgets. Um, so we can absorb, we can live with one cancellation as we saw last March, another one would really be crippling. So that's the next thing. I think obviously we've seen the football fallout, but football is a little bit of a different entity just because it's not really controlled by the NCAA in many ways. Um, you know, men's and women's basketball, that's the next big domino that we, you know, you're starting to hear some of those, you know, the, those in the bubble things that are being trademarked and whatnot. You know, I, I think the national office right now is saying, we know that we have got to do everything in our power to make sure that we have that championship in, in, in the spring of 2021. Cause if not, I, I don't know where this thing is left standing. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, you know, that, that shared across, you know, athletic directors that we talked to other commissioners. Um, and like you said, no one's immune from that from D one down to junior college and everybody oh. in between it's uh, yeah, everyone's feeling that. And so, you know, what we've noticed over here at check is as, you know, as these budgets become tighter and human capital becomes, you know, stretched to the nth degree, um, I'm curious, are you guys mandating or updating anything from a conference level um, to help your athletic directors, uh, maybe on a technology front, you know, make sure that they're operating at their highest, you know, capacity and, and maximizing all the dollars that you do have? Yeah, the, the one beautiful thing, or not the one, one of the beautiful things that we have is grant money, um, you know, that, that comes from the NCAA. And, and that was not, at so far, that has not been touched. And that's been a big help. Quite frankly, um, to the technology point, um, we made the, the decision pretty early on um, within the NECC that we were going to devote a, a pretty good chunk of our grant money to providing um, personal uh, protective equipment for our institutions. Um, so that was a big thing for our schools that we said, hey, listen, we get this money every year. Normally it goes to professional development. It goes to travel for meetings. It goes to, you know, different sorts of things. It goes to speakers on campuses, it goes to SAT groups, for example. Um, but this year, COVID is, 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 is first, second, third, fourth, all the way down to the top 20 things you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. What can we do on our side from a conference office perspective to help our membership, to help our schools during these tough times? Hey, if we can offer up, I mean, quite frankly, last week, I, 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 you know, I went to five of our schools. I got to go to a few more, you know, over the next week, just dropping off stuff because I got a, about 15 cases of whether it was masks or thermometers or, you know, screens or shields or anything that our, our athletic trainers recommended we buy this so we could use these things because our budgets are tight. As you talk about, I said, hey, we can take in some money here and we could probably get a better deal, quite frankly, if we purchase it on a wider spectrum than you are on a one-by-one -one campus basis. Not to say those orders, those orders aren't small, but, you know, anytime you deal with a scale of, you know, let's say something like 15,000 masks that we ordered, we're going to get a better price point than you are if you order 1,000 or 2,000. So that was a way, Scott, and, and you know, the NCAA, again, to their credit, um, 
They allowed you to earmark that money. You know, they quickly added that line that say PPE was, you know, a, a, an acceptable use of grant money. Um, and, and I applaud them for that. But that's been the type of stuff, you know, during these times when, when departments, I mean, we've seen people furloughed. We've seen, uh, you know, departments shrink, unfortunately, um, you know, during these times, you know, you talked about, you know, college athletics is not immune to, you know, what's going on in our country. Um, you know, so any, any way we can be a resource, we've talked, Scott, you know, for this coming fall, we're going to do programming for our student athletes um, so that they have, you know, uh, an experience, right? The game day experience is gone for this semester. I mean, that, that stinks. And, and that's the reason that we're all in this is because of that waking up, man, I got a big game, whether it's at three o'clock, four o'clock, seven o'clock, whenever it may be, that's the thing you live for as a coach, as a student athlete, as an administrator, as a commissioner, that moment, that championship, that day, that's what you want. So what can we do to, you know, provide a meaningful experience for them during this window of time where they're not going to have that game day? Can we um, allow them to grow and develop as leaders? Can they learn more about themselves and and, and what makes them tick? Um, you know, it's it's definitely not as good. You know, if game day is a 10, you know, we hope we're providing a six, you know, yeah. somewhere along those lines. But at the end of the day, if we could provide some sort of meaningful experience for them during this semester, for our student athletes, for our people, then I think, you know, we've done a good job considering, you know, the hand we're all playing um, in, in this era of, of dealing with a global pandemic. No, that, I, I mean, really well said. And and I mean, for all your listeners out there, I don't know if you're picking up on the same through line as me, but, you know, I mean, Jacob at the reins of the NECC, I mean, these guys are very forward thinking, you know, very, you know, proactive instead of being reactive to some of these scenarios. And so, you know, during this pandemic, you know, we've seen a lot of people and organizations, you know, um, largely to budgetary restraints have to become very creative, right? And so, um, you know, I can't wait to dive into this, but you guys, first off, congratulations on your new partnership with Helix and um, in the esports arena. And I'm going to let you take it from here. But if you want to fill us in on who Helix is, what that partnership looks like, because this is the future of collegiate athletics. So really excited to hear what you guys are doing over there. Yeah, uh, thank you. I appreciate that, Scott. Um, it's it's funny. Um, you talk about the proactive thing. I, I want to go back to that because I think that's a key word that you hit on. Um, you know, when we had these conversations over the summer, especially with our presidents, it, it wasn't we're crying over spilled milk. It wasn't like, okay, this has happened. The world is ending. We can't do anything about it. It was always, okay, this has happened. So now what? How can we move forward? What can we do in a positive manner knowing that we have to take this into consideration that we're not going to be trapped. We're not going to be going to different schools to play games as we'd all like to, and we all wish we could during this time. So that's an important hallmark. And, and I've been really proud um, to work with so many uh, forward thinking leaders in, in that regard, quite frankly, within our conference. Um, the esports arena was going to happen, um, you know, whether we, we announced it um, last fall, uh, we announced our intention to sponsor it um, all along um, our goal within the NECC um, was to sponsor it at a level which was consistent with our other offerings. Um, so we treated it, Scott, like we did um, women's soccer, for example. We wrote up a code of conduct. We wrote up bylaws and governance um, because we felt that, it, 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 that the players deserved it, the gaming community deserved it. Um, you know, it was what there was that, that was missing when we had those conversations with some of the players, like what's missing in the college esports space. It was that sort of like legitimizing factor. And quite frankly, for, for our people and, and for our leadership, it, it was a good way to say we're doing this at such a way that that if we put our name onto it, we're going to be proud of it. And, and we're not going to worry about, um, you know, the what ifs and, and, and you know, all the horror stories you hear of esports and, and those things of like, oh, gosh, you know, there's 
first-person shooter games and all that stuff. Yes, that's true. And unfortunately, those are the most popular games. I wish those popular games were the Maddens and the, you know, the NBAs and the soccers. That would be awesome. Unfortunately, that's not the way it is. So for us um, within esports, it was to treat it at a high level, to treat it with the respect it was deserved, um, that we felt it was deserved. And, and ultimately, you know, we've created um, full season schedules. We're, we're going to have championships and titles. Um, this is not for us. Uh, you know, this is not a weekend tournament event, right? I mean, this is a full season, just like we would hand out a men's soccer season. This is your slate, and this is the postseason if you are to reach it. Very um, similar um, with our esports offerings. Um, our partnership with Helix, quite frankly, um, came about. They're a player in, in, in the high school space. They have some um, some land arenas um, in, in the New York metro area and also right here, um, you know, in, in near where we're located um, in Gillette Stadium. They just opened one pretty recently. Um, so that was a, a really good fit. Um, we, in, in, when we announced um, our intention to sponsor esports, we kicked it off with a showcase um, in late January. And, and the folks at Helix, we reached out to a number of folks to say, hey, we're going to have these panel discussions. We're going to try to make it educational. We're going to try to make it valuable for people to come. And it was hosted by Becker College, which has a terrific um, program and, and has a massive esports infrastructure already in place. Um, and, and they've been online since, uh, uh, you know, they've been with us since day one. And, and yeah. for us to announce that, that was just sort of the culmination, um, literally, of six months of conversations. Um, what could we provide them? What could they provide us? Um, and we're really excited. They're a great group to work with, and, and we're excited about that going forward. But ultimately, um, you know, the esports thing is, is, is funny because when everything was on hold in March and, and we pushed pause on everything and ultimately, you know, ended up canceling the spring, our presidents were like, all right, we've heard about esports, we've heard about esports, so now go with it. You know, like like now you've you've been doing the, the preparation work. We were anticipating Scott rolling it out this fall as we are now, but we actually hosted some single elimination sports tournaments, et cetera, which were a great sort of rough draft for us in many ways, just to sort of get things rolling, work out some of the kinks, allow us to do some streaming things and test out what we liked and what we didn't like. Um, and and that support from our leadership again. Um, I think our presidents are very forward thinking. Um, you know, when, when you talk about esports with presidents, um, they're sort of aware of it, but you can't go to a field and watch it. You can't go to a gym and see it. You have to sort of dial it up on your computer and, and go to a link and go to a stream. And, you know, that's a, that, that's a you know, portion of the population is probably not going to do that. But it's a massively growing industry. And every kid that I know is playing. And, and, and whether they're playing Madden, whether they're playing League of Legends, whether they're playing Overwatch or Valorant or whatever it is, they're playing something. So for us to put our head in the sand, again, we are all enrollment-based institutions. For us to put our head in the sand and say, yeah, I know it's happening. For us, we think it's a way to hopefully attract um, students to our campuses and provide them with the same type championship level experience um, they'd get with any of our other traditional sports. And, and really well said. And I mean, the esports has been fascinating to me. I think, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm 30 years old. And so I'm sort of right in that. I remember life before a cell phone, yeah. but really the majority of it's been with, you know, one of those devices in my hands. And, you know, as you go downstream in the generations, uh, I mean, gosh, you see more adoption of Madden than you do of, you know, flag football or Pop Warner. And uh, and so I think, you know, as we see younger leadership continue to permeate the NCAA and other, you know, governing bodies, um, esports is here to stay. And, you know, especially you, know, you, you couple that with a pandemic, you know, I mean, it's the safest way to play sports and interact. And so, um, you know, um, you know, one thing we touched on and, and, you know, this has been a through line in our conversations is name, image and likeness, right? right. When you start right. talking on players earning, you think of the Obi Toppins, you think of the Zions, 
the Joe Burrows, but you don't necessarily think of your esports at Becker College right. or or Dean College. Right. Um, talk to us a little bit about you know some of the discussions that are preliminarily happening on the non-traditional way for athletes to build a digital brand and, and earn on that. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I'll be honest. I, I'm 43 years old. Um, when we made the decision to sponsor esports, I quickly brought on Caleb, our director of esports, as an intern role, and he now works with me on a day to day basis because I knew nothing about it. I mean, I hadn't played yeah. Sega Genesis, NHL, you know, 2000 <laughs> or something like that. Quite frankly, um, love it. So you know, I knew nothing. I knew it was happening. Um, I, I helped coach high school basketball here in my hometown. The, the kids talk about it nonstop. It's what they do, um, and and it drives us crazy because you're like, guys. We got a game tomorrow. I can't be up until 2 a.m., you know, playing Xbox and doing that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I think the, the the name, image, and likeness thing, you're right. We all think of the quarterbacks and the, the high-profile point guards and wide receivers, et cetera, that have an opportunity uh, to make some money using, you know, the end of their name or their following. Um, I, I think it speaks to esports as well. Um, and, and I think it's, uh, you know, if you really delved into it, um, I, I think the NCAA, while it's not a, you know, esports in no way, none of the titles, um, our NCA sponsored quote unquote sports, and and thus far the NCA has sort of kept uh, arm's length away from esports. Um, I, I, I would be naive, I think, if, if I said I didn't think that that was at least beginning to think about that down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of players um, within our our conference already that make something um, based on their stream, based on a partnership, based on a sponsorship that they have. Um, so it's happening. Um, it's it's oh. a very different revenue stream. Um, it's it's something that's very hard um, to quantify, um, you know, because you know the numbers are not traditional, um, but they're valuable. Um, you know, if you can sell, I'll, I'll, I'll say this: we we signed a, a deal with um, ESTV, which is Esports TV. You know, they're a you know an OTT app, and you know one of those things that you can get on your you know Roku or whatever. Um, you know, the finals of our Madden tournament in the spring they picked up after we signed our deal with them and 30,000 people saw it, wow. um, which is, which for us was staggering. Now they didn't watch it for the old entire 90 minutes. The average time length was like five or six minutes tuning in. But to think that 30,000 people tuned in to watch this tournament that we did very little promotion of aside yeah. from on our side, you know, aside from on our Twitter and our social media and, and our website um, was pretty staggering. So I think there's a, it's, it's definitely niche marketing. Um, but, at the end of the day, as, as you well know, Scott, being a former you know high-level athlete, this is the most important demographic for companies to get their hands on and to target because they're thinking of these people, these young men and women, as customers, as consumers for life. So yeah. if they can make that relationship, that attachment when they're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, well, now maybe they think I've got a partner and I've got somebody who's going to you know drink my soft drink or use my product, use my mouse, use my keyboard, use my platform, whatever it may be. For the next 50, 60 years, and that's extremely valuable. So mm. it, it's an interesting, um, small, and very important um, demographic. I shouldn't say small because obviously it's massive and the numbers are growing annually. Um, but it's an interesting thing, and I think that name, image, and likeness speaks to some of those things as, as, as the NCA begins to think about this on a bigger scale and potentially they know what's going on with the pop-ups of the esports around the country, You know, the NACC included, quite frankly. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's it, it, again, it's just a great highlight of this is changing, right? As much as we want to hold on to legacy, as much as we want to hold on to tradition, um, I'm one of those folks that has that battle between, you know, hey, I came up and, and used to watch the Alabama Auburn football games and used to have that final four memory. But 
it's changing. We're in the digital era. We're not in the industrial era anymore. We're seeing the way we educate, the mediums in which we communicate change. Um, so ultimately, sports are going to get caught up in that um, in some capacity. But well, it's really neat. You know, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, look at you know, look at attendance across the country. I mean, with the exception of the Duke men's basketball that sells out Cameron every night, you know, numbers are down across the board. With the exception yeah. of those sort of one-off events, the Final Fours, you know, the the championships, etc., where those are always going to be you know special things. Um, it's because people are, are in their rooms doing this stuff. Um, yeah. So as you said, how do you evolve? How do you grow? Um, you know, the guy I work with, you know, he says all the time, you got to think about this like this is football 100 years ago. And everybody was like, oh, I'm worried. I don't know what this is. Wait, you're going to run into each other. You're wearing these leather soft helmets. That's going to be terrible for you. It's a lot of those same hesitations that people are saying, eh, I'm not really comfortable. That's fine. And, and we respect that. If you're not comfortable with sponsoring something, then don't sponsor a Madden, you know, sponsor a sports game where you would on your campus. Um, but those are the discussions I think you're seeing. And the people that are doing it well have gotten a head start. Um, and, 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 and they are, this is an industry, it's not going anywhere. Um, you can look at the numbers, you know, Google, you know, it's, it's estimated that over a billion people worldwide are playing this stuff on a daily basis. I mean, that's mind blowing. Um, yeah. And quite frankly, as you all know, it's that demographic. It's that 15 to 18 that colleges and universities are trying to culminate and bring to their institutions, you know, as potential students and student athletes. Well, and I try and take a step back, right? Because I think about this through the lens of, you know, when the NCAA introduced football or, you know, even sports and education running in parallel, um, that, that wasn't always the traditional model there, right? right. So what did right. that look like? What were those early adopters and naysayers saying, like, what do we do in mixing football and Harvard? Right. Those don't right. go together. But, you know, I sort of think we're at that crossroads right now where, man, we have a chance to put our fim our fingerprint and really leave, leave a legacy on what the future NCAA or amateur athletics will look like. Um, we're pioneering instead of absorbing, which is really cool. And that's very well said. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's these times, right? These times in our country's history where these developments occur just out of sheer necessity. I mean, we, we just can't go right now. We can't go to a, a gym and watch a game, um, you know, in, in most parts of the country. Um, you know, we can't go to a soccer field, um, you know, because we're not having those games. Um, so what can we provide? Um, you know, we could provide them with a competitive experience. It's very different. I'm not going to say it's the same, um, yeah. but it, 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 it affords that same level of competition. At the end of the day, we want it to be high level. There's a winner and a loser, just like there is in, you know, traditional sports. But I'm with you. Um, this is this is the future is now, um, you know, and, and, and I think it's been probably happening. And it's probably been below the scenes a little bit, you know, in, in terms of this esports space. Um, but now that, um, you know, everything else has been put on hold in a lot of regards, um, it's probably been fast forwarded into the mainstream a little bit sooner than it would have been otherwise. Love it. Love it. So so on that note, I'm curious. Right. So you guys, you know, we're going to take a, a pivot off of esports here. Yeah. Um, but really focus in on the student athlete here for a couple of minutes. You know, so fall sports aren't taking place. Um, I'm really curious, how are you guys handling the, the mental health and the well-being of your athletes to make sure that, you know, everybody is still being treated, you know, accordingly, make sure they have the resources as if they were on campus? It's a great question. Um, mental health uh, during this time has probably been the most important thing that we've, we've focused on. And, and I give our healthcare professionals within our conference all the credit in the world. Um, our athletic trainers, um, have done more than they were ever asked or, or called upon to do, quite frankly. Um, you know, not only are they the first line of defense and, and in terms of, 
you know, um, working to provide um, a safe and, 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 and sound experience for the people on campus. But they were the ones that were writing the policies for us as a, as a conference across the board, saying mm-hmm. not only um, am, am I worried about what happens when my, you know, student athlete is, is in my backyard or on my campus, but I want to make sure that the same thing's going on in your backyard and your campus. Now we're all treating this equitably. Um, so you're right. Um, and, and, and to the mental health point, um, you know, I, I don't have any great answers for that. I, I will say this, um, you know, I was extremely proud of our people that when we announced our intention to postpone all the fall sports, there wasn't an outrage um, because I think people knew. I think people knew this was not a decision anyone wanted to make. It was a decision we had to make because of the current, you know, climate in our country. Um, and, and we were doing it because of their safety. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff internally um, with regards to some of the discussions going on surrounding race, surrounding inclusion, um, you know, and, and that's an effort. We're going to roll out some stuff over the next couple of weeks for some semester-wide programming um, within our conference to provide for our student athletes, to provide for our students, quite frankly, not just our student athletes, um, yes. you know, to provide for our population. Um, you know, let's, let's use this time to grow. Um, not often we have this pause, you know, in, in many ways, everybody's heads are spinning, you know, it's right after Labor Day, right, where, you know, we're back into the full swing and, and everybody's going a million miles a minute. That's not the case right now. It's not to say people aren't working hard because they are. They're probably working harder than ever before, but it's just in a different way. So now we need to provide our students and our population with growth opportunities that are outside of the traditional world of college athletics. You know, they need to grow with their minds. They need to grow um, as people. Um, and, and, and our folks internally, again, getting back to that point of our discussions this summer, it was like, all right, this has happened. Uh, you know, COVID is here. You know, there's no light switch moment. You know, we're going to be dealing with this for a long time. Um, hopefully, you know, shorter rather than longer, but here we are. Um, so what can we do to provide something positive for our people? And that focal point and, 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 and looking at it through that way has been very rewarding. I think very positive for us as a whole. And, and, and the feedback we've gotten from our student population about some of the things we've talked about has been very well received. And we're excited about what that's going to look like over the next four or five months and, 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 and hopefully beyond. Amazing. And, and, you know, I hope that paradigm shift sticks because, you know, as I reflect back on my collegiate career and you could probably look back on your tenure at some of your other conferences, we do a great job while athletes are under our umbrella. But what do we do with the athlete when they go into the real world? How do we keep them engaged with the university, with the conference? How do we make sure they are financially literate and they are not, it's not taboo to talk about mental health. And so, you know, we're seeing some of the underlying things that maybe gets neglected by athletic departments or athletes as a whole, um, really come to the forefront here. And so it's my goal as we go through this to evolve the process, to make sure that, you know, these things don't get swept under the rug. Um, and, and Jacob, what you guys are doing over there in the NECC sounds like, you know, you guys could be a, a, a green light example for this, right? You know, just at least having it top of mind. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, to your point, um, I think that the ability – um, within Division Three, I, I think we're unique in this space. Um, yep. You know, your, your athletic experience, um, you know, doesn't, I don't want to say it's not important because it's massively important. We want it to be massively important. Um, and it's extremely competitive. I, I, I'm blown away by the level at which our student athletes compete on a daily basis. Um, yep. But but it's a portion of, of what defines you. It's not, you know, when you go to USC to play football, that's yeah. who you are. I mean, that's a full-time job and the utmost respect for those people. Um, you know, for what they do on a daily basis. I mean, you see those schedules of, you know, waking up at six and weight training and then class and then study hall and, you know, workouts. It's absurd. It's a full-time Man, job. I was at, 
I was at South Alabama, and yeah. that's yeah. South and Alabama, not even the Power Five. Hats off. Um, but at Division Three, it's a little bit more of sort of one of the things about who you are, right? You're a bio major, and you're a member of the softball team, you know, and you're on, you know, the debate team, or and you're in student government, or whatever it may be. Um, so I think that within our space, we have a unique opportunity to help promote and fulfill that sort of what we talked about sort of as, as, as a full student athlete. You know, at Division Three, we really hang our hat on, you know, the term student athlete means something. The student comes first. You miss games. You miss practices because you have class, because you have labs, because you have practicums, because you have things that take precedent over the athlete experience of your collegiate tenure. And that's OK. Um, so I think that during this time, you know, while we don't have athletics, we have other opportunities and they're still training. You know, they're still doing stuff. Um, you know, on our campuses that have come back. Um, but you have an opportunity to help fulfill and develop the, the complete student athlete across the board, not just the athlete component, not just the, you know, the physical component, but the mental component and, and their development as well. And I love your concept of sort of, all right, you, you played here for four or five years, you've got your degree. Now, how do we set you up? How do we equip you for success for the next 50 years of your career? And that's ultimately why we're all here. Exactly. And, and you know, to, to your point, I mean, I've been fortunate to work across um, all divisions and, and you're exactly right. As you do get lower down in the division, yep. you almost see a more holistic look at what Absolutely. an amateur athlete looks like versus this silo of, you know, you are an athlete and then you happen to get an exercise science degree. And so, yep. um, you know, this will be shared, you know, far and wide. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, folks, in the organization of the NCAA and the NAIA absorb the D3 mentality because that is the foundation in which I was taught athletics, right? Like this is one component of who you are as an athlete. Um, and this, is, this is ultimately why we're here, right? I mean, this is, you know, I am here for the student athlete and for the student athlete experience. That's why I go to work. That's why I go to my basement every day and, and, <laughs> and, and, and try to provide something for our people, um, you know, is for the student athlete experience. And how can we best provide for them? You're right. That holistic approach. Um, you know, that's the best word for it. How can they succeed in the classroom, in the community and on the playing field? And at the end of the day, every decision we make takes a look at each of those three things as a whole, not just sort of, all right that's good for us in athletics. That's good for us in the community. That's good for us in the classroom. No, it's how can we make the best decision across that helps enhance and improve each of those three areas. Ultimately, they're the future leaders of our country, okay. of our world. And so, uh, so we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't be, you know, if we weren't mindful and thinking through the whole process on, you know, how we want to develop these young men and women, um, you know, as they're coming through, you know, this phase of life. So, um, kudos, man. And, and, you know, I'd ask you the question of where, you, where do you see this going over the next few years? Um, but you, I think you said it best. We're living the future, right? Yep. We are literally absorbing and living it. But um, I think I'd be remiss without gathering your thoughts. So, you know, coming out of the fall of this year, uh, any tidbits or nuggets on where you think um, specifically Division Three athletics is going? Yeah, it's 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 tough, right? Because budgets are um, you know are being cut um, across the board, you know, and 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 things are being um, you know that, that's unfortunate. Um, at the end of the day, um, for us in Division Three, I think um, it's it's important for the next you know as you look about this for the next five ten years. You know, I had a conversation with somebody recently. It's like during this time of of budgets being cut, of programs being cut, quite frankly, nationwide. I'd probably be if I could, if I was in that role, I'd probably adding programs 
Because now's the opportunity where you're trying to use ways and what differentiates you. What gets your, you know, what gets that young person onto your campus? Well, we don't offer men's lacrosse, let's say. Maybe we should explore that, you know, or, or something along those lines. Maybe we should explore those type things because during these times where everybody's cutting back, it's sort of like the when everybody zigs, you zag. You know, I, I think that's the type of thing where it, and it's very difficult because money and, and is at the bottom line of every single decision that everybody's making across the board. We've had schools within our conference cut programs. Um, and, and that's heart wrenching. That's very difficult. Um, and you feel for those young people, you feel for the coaches, you feel for the administrators that have worked so hard to support and promote those programs and get them to the level at which they've competed at. Um, but I think that Scott, over the next five to 10 years, I, I think this is going to look very differently. Um, I, I think that the, 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 the structure has been shaken. Um, I don't know what the future holds, um, but I think that you will see this look very differently five, 10 years from now than it does today. I don't think we're going to be you know, sort of the same onwards trajectory. I think it's going to, no, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's more regional components and more regional competition so that you're not spending thousands of dollars to send a team out or whatever it may be, um, because that just, that isn't there anymore. Uh, but at the end of the day, how can you provide that meaningful experience and that meaningful component, as you talked about, to help fulfill and complete that full experience of our people while they're on campus? Because you're right, as you well know, as a former student athlete, those 18 to 22 year olds, I mean, those are friendships. Those are experiences. Those are moments you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Um, and yep. we need to provide them, you know, with as good a possible experience as we can, especially during this time where athletics and traditional athletics have been put on hold. It's on us to say, all right, now what? And, and what do we do so that this is not a lost time? And we don't look back and say, you know what? That spring, that summer, that fall of 2020 or whatever, maybe and beyond was not a good time. No. You know what I did during that time? I grow and I develop in other ways. And, and that's the goal of everything that we do. Man, Jacob, that's got me fired up on this side of the screen. You got me going back to my football days. Um, you know, it's it, and it's so true, right? With these shakeups, I, I think a lot of these um, foundational core, we'll call them issues, yep. they were there with or without COVID. This just oh, yeah. exposed them and now we can't ignore them anymore. So I think this breeds a ton of opportunity and opportunity to become more transparent opportunity to become more accountable, opportunity to become more fiscally responsible as departments so that we can, you know, run a more sound business and provide more opportunities for our athletes. And so um, a shakeup always is painful when you have to absorb it. But in that same vein, I think um, you've provided a ton of optimism for the listeners on, you know, just making sure we have the right people at the reins to, to drive big decisions that will shape the next five to 10 years. So, um, from check, we really appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure to discuss. It's definitely not an easy time. I'll tell you right now, I I, I don't envy the role of the college president in any way, shape, or form right now because those are, you know, you're dealing with multi million dollar budgets. Those are very difficult decisions. I'm dealing with a limited window, trying to sure. provide the best possible thing. So by comparison, it's relatively easy. Scott, I can't thank you enough for the the work that you and your crew do there at Check. It's really great. Um, the emphasis and the focus um, on the student athlete, their development, and beyond is a necessary an important window and it's something we need to shed more light on. And I thank you for your hard work. Amazing. So before we go, we have one last question for you. Uh, so Jacob, this is a personal one, right? We're going to steer completely away from football and, and sports, <laughs> but, but Jacob, if you could let our listeners know one thing that you've done in your life that you would recommend they do or experience in theirs, hmm. what would that be and why? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you think about this. Um, 
I had the opportunity to go to Colgate University in central New York. Um, I made the very difficult decision. I was probably a D3 student athlete at best on my good days, and I probably would have been lucky to make the basketball team, you know, depending <laughs> on where I went. Um, and, and, and I, at the end of the day, made the decision that, you know what, um, college sports was awesome. Um, and, but I had to do what was best for me and what was best for my education. Um, and ultimately, that was the right decision for me. Um, while I was on campus, quite frankly, just via dumb luck, I had the opportunity to get involved in things like sports broadcasting, in things like radio station, in things like intramurals. So for me, the, the, the only advice I would say is no matter what your interest is, stay connected to it. Um, my interest in high school, I was a jock. I was a basketball player. I was a baseball player. That was what defined me in many ways. Um, when I went to college, I knew I still loved sports, but I wasn't good enough to play at Colgate. I'll be honest. That's Division One. I. I was not good enough. I wasn't going to make the basketball team there. Uh, so how could I stay connected to it? So I think that is the thing that I would share with folks is whatever your passion is, whatever you love, stay connected to it because you never know what it's going to lead to, right? Here I am 20 years later. I've made it a career in some regard, some shape or form, college athletics. I never envisioned when I stepped foot in, you know, on that campus in central New York, you know, almost 20 years ago now that that was going to be something that was going to be with me for the rest of my life. Yet here we are, um, you know, evolve with the times, this esports thing. I don't know anything about esports, but here we are. It's a massive thing that's going on. So evolve, grow, stay connected to what you love, stay in touch. Be connected with people. Don't be in a silo. It's tough, especially during these times. It's very tough. It's easier than ever to text. It's easier than ever to just whatever. Pick up, check in, say hello. Outside your comfort zone is always a good thing. And I think that's a lot about what we're talking about today. This COVID yeah. thing, we're all outside our comfort zone. We're all locked in. I can't go to Starbucks and work. I can't go to do that on my day-to-day -day basis. You can't do what you want to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So how do we stay connected? Those are the challenges in these times. Stay connected to what you love, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a potential career, whether it's a person, a thing, sports, whatever it may be, stay connected to that thing because good things will happen if you're passionate about it, you care about it, and there's a world of opportunity no matter what that thing is that you really care about. Boy, I tell you, on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode of Checkpoint. Jacob, I can feel the passion coming from your side of the screen. Um, thank you again for what you do for, for the NECC, for the student athletes, um, and, and all the sports that you're overseeing. Um, guys, be sure to tune in. Um, you know, the NECC is going to continue to launch and air new esports events. Um, and if you want to get in touch with Jacob to continue this conversation, or if there's a school that Fit, may be a good fit for you. We'll post all the information below. Um, Jacob, thank you again for your time, and uh, we look forward to the next combo. Thank you very much for your time, Scott. I appreciate it.